Hi, I'm Justin from Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit at MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the sound of Welcome to The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week on the show, live from Seattle Sketchfest in Seattle, Washington, Dan Savage. He's the editor of Seattle's alternative news weekly, The Stranger. He's also the columnist behind Savage Love, the sex and advice relationship column that runs in alternative newspapers around the country, and the voice of the Savage Love cast, the podcast based on the column. Shortly after Dan Savage sat down next to me on the stage at Seattle Sketchfest, it occurred to me that it was going to be pretty tough to interview a sex columnist about stuff exclusively that you could talk about on the radio. About half of this interview ended up going out over the airwaves. What you'll hear here on the podcast is the unedited version. So without further ado, Dan Savage. Please welcome to the program Dan Savage. Dan? Nobody warned me that these were on wheels. Yeah, I know. You shouldn't have you shouldn't have made your big entrance. <laughs> I know you've been sitting backstage there that whole time thinking about, oh man, this the sit down that I'm gonna do when I get on stage. <laughs> um okay, so I think um uh I think it's appropriate to start with a little bit of backstory and the question that everyone wonders about um the question that everyone wonders about someone who has your job is where does it come from? Did you <laughs> did you always imagine yourself becoming an advice columnist? Like, was it an interest of yours? No, no. Uh, it's not the kind of job you can apply for, and there's no uh, courses you can take, except perhaps uh, psychology, therapy, and other crap that I didn't take. Um, other stuff that would be relevant that, would be that totally you've had nothing relevant. to do with. Well, yes and no. I mean, you look up advice in the dictionary, and it uh, says opinion about what could or should be done. Uh, and opinions are like assholes, and everybody's got ton, uh, at least one of them. <laughs> um, I'm not making any sense today. Uh, I met somebody who was starting a newspaper, and I offhandedly suggested uh, Tim Kak, who was the founder of The Onion. I sold The Onion and was moving to Seattle to start The Stranger, and he's telling me about it, and I said, oh, you should have an advice column, because everybody sneers at them, but everybody reads them uh, when they encounter one. And he said, oh, that's good advice, why don't you write it? And I wasn't angling for the gig, and if you read, and I'd never written anything in my life, if you read the first couple of years' worth of Savage Love, which are locked away forever, uh, it's clear that I'd never written anything before in my life. Um, and I, it just, it's one of those jobs you just sort of stumble into, and they eat your world. What did you, what did you learn about it right away, like at the very beginning? What, what caught you by surprise? I was really caught by, I was surprised by the fact that, that people wanted to ask me real questions. When the column started, it was a joke. We we sort of brainstormed what a column could do and be different. And having a, a fag write a sex advice column was mostly for straight people. The whole idea was I would treat heterosexual sex with the revulsion and contempt that <laughs> uh, heterosexual advice columnists had always treated homosexual sex with. I would just sneer at it. And what happened was really quickly I started getting real questions from heterosexuals in trouble. 
and I found that I had this untapped well of sympathy for straight people that I didn't know it was there. <laughs> Particularly straight guys, uh, you know, they t tortured me when I was a kid and I was growing up and, you know, I was a fag and I like musicals and whatever. Um, and then I realized when I was out and gay and writing this column and I started getting these letters from, you know, straight guys in the middle of the night, and, you know, their moment of desperation, that it really kind of sucks to be a straight guy. Uh, and I felt nothing but sympathy for them. And so I decided that I would make it my life's mission to explain to them exactly where the clit was. <laughs> You know, what what do you mean when when you say it's it sucks to be a straight guy? I'm I'm a I myself am a straight guy. Well, can't you vouch for that? I feel like that? I'm pretty well set up. <laughs> I feel like I'm like rolling. You know, I'm great. Uh, what sucks to be a straight guy is that it's hard to get laid if you're straight um, compared to women or uh, gay guys, and the desire is certainly there, uh, but the bar is set much higher for the straight boys. But also, you know, heterosexual male identity in an American, I don't want to get too pointy-headed or queer theory-y about it, but it's really a, this package of negatives. You know, to be a straight guy is not to be a woman and not to be a faggot. And so it doesn't really leave you much uh, room to maneuver. If there's anything about your interests or, uh, you know, personality that can be remotely perceived as feminine or faggoty, you have to uh, kill it or people won't believe you're straight, or you'll be tormented by you know, questions uh, for the rest of your life. And, and it's kind of sad to watch how hemmed in straight guys are. And I didn't realize that. I always felt as uh, a fag that I was kind of hemmed in. And then when I came out and I was over it and past it, I realized that I wasn't hemmed in at all. Uh, it was really the poor, sad, pathetic straight guys who were hemmed in. Um, I had sex with women uh, when I was very young, <clears throat> when I was a teenager, and nobody looks at me and says, oh, you had sex with girls. You must be straight. But, you know, the poor straight guy who at college got drunk a couple of times or met, you know, maybe the one guy that he was attracted to uh, and did it, if it gets out, if people find out, no one will ever believe he's straight ever again. And how sad for that poor straight guy. How did you, how did you come to this realization? How did this information trickle out of letters that you were getting? Well, I just got so many letters from so many... Uh, heterosexuals and, and women and and gay people who are in these weird sort of traps. And I realized that writing an advice column was this openly gay person. There was somehow all these readers were intuitive, you know, intuitively tapping into the fact that I'd given myself permission to uh, be a fag. And so I was likely to give them permission to do whatever it was that they wanted to do. Um, and I realized we're just giving out permission slips in the column uh, to people who were in, often in a lot of pain about the, their desires and their interests and they you know and as a gay person going to your parents when you're a teenager and saying i'm going to be sodomized for the rest of my life um with breaks in between <laughs> well, with breaks in between pauses for refreshments yeah. um but still the mental images for mom and dad is you know you're going to be sodomized for the rest of your life except thanksgiving and christmas uh when you're at their house in front of them and therefore not being sodomized with any luck um where were we going with this? Uh, oh, if you've, if you've said to your parents you're gay, saying to your boyfriend, um, you know, tie me up, or I, I you know, want to wear women's clothing, even though gay guys aren't really into cross-dressing, is really small beans. You know, for us, the, the, the kinks and the quirks and, and the variances are the molehills. The coming out is the mountain. And after you, after you, after you, you know, climb over that, everything else is peanuts. But for straight people, 
what we were, you know, with the gays, the kinks, the, the fetishes, the, the aberrant desires, what we regard as no big deal for straight people. Those are the mountains. They're, they're the fucking Himalayas, particularly for uh, straight guys. How, Can I say fucking on no, the radio? No, of course you can't. <laughs> You've been on the radio. I thought I was in Canada that. for a second. I'm you're, sorry. I'll, you're, I'll, for, I'll, you're familiar with the technology radio. I correct? am, actually. <laughs> But just with podcasting, you can say any fucking thing you want, <laughs> and you get sort of spoiled. Um, what was was it was it ever scary for you at the beginning to be giving people for people to basically just be opening themselves up to you to the extent that they were and sincerely asking you to guide them, like putting themselves in your in your hands or in your pen? <laughs> yeah, no, um, maybe so. Um, I try not to think about it too much because. You know, oftentimes I get angry letters from people who say, that advice was terrible and you've destroyed that person. Uh, the assumption being that whatever I say in my column is binding arbitration and the idiot who wrote me the letter is uh, forced to do it, whatever it is. Um, to prove that that's not the case, I sometimes advise people to get drunk and drive, uh, just to demonstrate that my advice isn't always uh, something you should swallow. Uh, but I don't take it too seriously. You know, anybody who's writing to me is hopefully getting other people's opinions too and it's just food for thought it's not like i say to people binding arbitration um and i mean to people and i slap them around and that sometimes annoys uh readers but did you did you did you have that elaborate justification that you just gave us set up at the beginning no god no at the beginning i thought it was you know i wasn't getting paid and it was this newspaper nobody heard of and it was just in this one place and it was just a lark um i was going to do it for six months or a year and then the paper like all newspapers would fold and i'd go back to europe where i'd been living with my boyfriend um and uh resume the sucking off of uncut german guys can you get that on the radio you can get that on a podcast I'm trying to think. I'm just trying to put myself in the in the in the mind space of an FCC commissioner. <laughs> Would it help if I mentioned it was only one German guy, not like all German? Oh, guys? absolutely! No, I think that's the difference. Okay, good. I think, I'm not familiar with the statute, <laughs> but I believe it has to do with the number and nationality of the guys. <laughs> yeah. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Dan Savage. He's the writer behind the sex and advice column, Savage Love. We'll have more with Dan in just a minute. Production of the sound of young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. If you want a taste of the lighter side of MaximumFun.org, try searching for Jordan Jesse Go in iTunes or visiting our blog and clicking on Jordan Jesse Go. It's an irreverent talk show for children of all ages, except for children. And it's absolutely free via podcast from MaximumFun.org. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to my conversation with sex and advice columnist Dan Savage, recorded live at the Seattle Sketch Fest in Seattle, Washington. Do, what kinds of expectations did people have of you as an advice columnist when, when you started in a time where just the idea of having an advice columnist who wasn't an old lady was kind of unusual? Like, did did you find that people had uh, 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 presumptions about who you were? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I was having, particularly when the you know 17 years ago when I started writing it, people would just assume that I was a 60 year old queen. 
And then I would go out in public or go do an event or, you know, go on a book tour and people would be shocked that I was not Ann Lander's college roommate uh, after the sex change. And um, I forget where I'm going with this. <laughs> I smoked a lot of pot in college. Can I say that on the radio? Yeah, you can say that. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, that was one of the differences that I was male and I was young and I was gay. And uh, those are things that aren't... And, and, and I would say things about sex that you're not allowed to say, particularly to women. It's a field dominated by women uh, and often is part of, I think, you know, the female advice echo chamber where women say things to women that aren't true uh, and that if you think about it for five seconds, you know, uh, aren't true, but they're sort of comforting lies like monogamy is easy if you're in love and that you should, that being in love means you don't want to sleep with anybody else, as opposed to making a monogamous commitment means you swear not to sleep with anybody else, which is a struggle. And if you go 30, 40 years without sleeping with anyone but the person you're married to, uh, except for a few times that you cheated on that person, uh, you were pretty good at being monogamous, not bad at being monogamous. Because <laughs> monogamy ain't natural, even William Bennett admits it. And I would say things like that you know, in my advice column and women's heads would explode. And then I'd say things to straight guys and their heads would explode. You seem to take a certain amount of pleasure in exploding people's heads. It's true, I do. <laughs> what, are, what are some head-exploding things that, that seem significant or maybe even self-evident to you that are unusual to hear from somebody who's in an advice-giving context? I frequently uh, tell... Uh, I believe that straight people need to have more sex... Uh, and more sex partners than they do. And gay people, we need to have less sex and fewer sex partners than we can. And that there's a healthy balance in there somewhere in between the sort of off-the-hook, out-of-control hedonism that brought us the AIDS epidemic in America, really, uh, that gay men patented, and the, this pretend world where uh, love means monogamy and and you get married and settle down and your sex life collapses and ends. Uh, it's very actually destabilizing to long-term relationships, I think monogamy is. Hey, have you changed your views on things in, in these 17 years? What, what's it's still opposed to cunnilingus. Um. <laughs> but oh, solely, if I'm not mistaken, solely on the grounds that it seems really gross to you. <laughs> That's right. Analingus, however. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny Taste how things subjective. work out, huh? Yeah. No, but sincerely, like you've been doing this for for a long time. Are there things that even just the act of getting these letters, reading these letters, and writing these responses that your that your outlook has changed in any way? I get angry and angry at the religious right, as if that were possible. Um, <laughs> but the institution of absence education in America in the last really ten years—I mean, writing the column for seventeen years. So I was writing it for many years before absence education was hatched. And I've been writing it now in the aftermath of absence education and getting these letters from 15, 16, 17 year olds who don't know what they're doing. Uh, even if they've had really good quote unquote sex education, they don't know what they're doing because good sex ed is reproductive biology. Here's a sperm, a tozoa, and here's an egg and oh, now it's a zygote. And isn't that fascinating? That's not sex ed because no one is thinking about zygotes when they're having sex. Um, it's, I always compare it to a, a driver's ed class where they teach you nothing about how to drive a car. It's just how the internal combustion engine works. And then they <laughs> hand you the keys to the car and you kill yourself and everybody else in the car because you don't know how to drive. Uh, sex ed needs to teach you how to drive, which is not how to, what a zygote is and fallopian tubes look like. Um, how to drive is, and this is the sex ed class that will never have in America, 
is sex ed should be how do you talk someone into having sex with you? And and what kind of sex is it that you want them to have with you? And how do you articulate your desires? And how do you keep yourself safe? What is consent and what is not consent? All this stuff that you could never talk about. That's not, and people who are getting what we think of as good sex aren't even getting that. They're just getting reproductive biology. But the abstinence ed, ed kids are so damaged when they're getting abstinence-only education, like Sarah Palin's children. They're so damaged by it, and they're so clueless, and they're so terrified of their own bodies because sex and desire is in charge of you. You are really not in charge of it. Um, you have to learn to ride the bucking bronco that is your sex drive and your sexual interests and your kinks um, because it is in charge, not you. And to tell people that they're immoral or unethical or Jesus is going to you know, shit blood if you do the things that your body wants to do in a way that's healthy and respectful and consensual with somebody else who enjoys the things that your body wants, it's just so damaging to people. And I see it all the time. And, and then there's just the ignorance. You know, I got a letter recently, blah, 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 who put a nickel in me? I got a letter recently from a, a male teenager who wanted me to back him up in an argument with his girlfriend. He wasn't checking to see if he was right or wrong. He was right. Uh, that he couldn't get her pregnant if he ceased thrusting inside her after ejaculating because it was the thrusting after ejaculation that would break open her eggs. Like she was the dairy aisle. Um, <laughs> and I didn't get those letters before absence education. Well, you know, the, where the eggs are next to the milk, right, okay. and you have to, like, run sharp elbow to, to the dairy aisle. You have to go into the dairy aisle, the eggs are next the eggs to the milk, the you have to thrust them. And what do you say to that person? Except I wrote him back and said, where did you get that idea? And he wrote me back and said, well, we, I, you know, I, I said, did you have absence only? And he said, yes. And I said, where'd you get that? My friends. And in the absence of any real decent factual information, people make baloney up and then get and then knock up Bristol Palin does 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 having um does having this job uh, affect your relationships in in real life whatever not necessarily whatever you mean (laughs) not necessarily I mean not even just with your not even just with your uh uh, with your husband and your kid, but just in general, does it do people have expectations of who you are that are based on this? Yeah, when newspaper character, when new friends come over to the house, they they do sort of peek in the bedroom, expecting to see you know a trapeze over the bed and a goat under it, um, <laughs> and that's kind of not the way we roll. Uh, at our place, um, it, it was harder when I was not. Stuff. It was harder when I was single because I would date guys and they would feel like they had to, you know, bring their best game because I was into everything I'd ever written about, which is just not true. Um, I'm not into most of the stuff that I have to write about. Uh, my boyfriend now, I've been with him forever, is great because he doesn't read the column and doesn't care. And he actually saved my job because when I met him, he said, uh, "You're not allowed to write about our sex life." And it just cut off what had been a lot of material in the column originally. It was like me writing a little bit about me too. Um, and it made the column about the readers, which has given the column this, its longevity. Sex columns that are about the sex columnists die, I've realized. And thanks to my boyfriend, mine uh, stumbles along zombie-like forever. Now, you, you, we're, we're calling your column a, a sex column, but I, I think calling it a, a sex and relationships column 
um, is very apt. Um, it's in no way just a, a, about sex. No, it's a, and it's an advice column. It's letter driven. It's Q and A. It's wherever the readers want to go. What do you What do you think are the intersections between those two subjects that you might not get out of a um, out of an Ann Landers that are important? What you get in my column that you don't get in other, I think, sex advice columns is I'm not invested in some baloney idea about what sex ought to be. I'm very realistic about what sex is and how you wrestle with it in your life and accommodate it and uh, within your relationship in a way that makes having that relationship possible. You know, it would be great when somebody writes in and says, you, often a woman, you know, my boyfriend isn't, you know, looks at porn and it makes me upset. It would be great if I could say your boyfriend is a bad person and shouldn't look at porn and tell him I said so, and that would fix it. It won't. What you have to say is your boyfriend needs to lie to you and tell you that he won't look at porn, continue to look at porn, do a better job of not getting caught, and when you catch him, you need to uh, give him some credit for the effort he went to to fool you (laughs) and turn a blind eye or you're never going to have a relationship that's going to succeed. You need to get a dog or a dyke, not a boyfriend, if you can't (laughs) handle the porn. You, um, the frankness that you've just displayed is a, is a hallmark of the column. <laughs> um, but uh, this is the way, like, gay people talk to each other about sex. Is it really? It is. It, just this, like, and I think it's a factor of being gay that, that makes us what, you know, when a man and a man are going to have sex, you know, they look at each other and go, okay, now what? And a conversation starts about what's going to happen. It's not obvious. It's not tab A, slot B. You've got tab, tab, slot, slot, <laughs> mouth, mouth. And what's going to happen? You have to chat. And there's no assumptions really brought to the table. And so before gay people can even begin to have sex, we have to be communicating with each other and talking to each other. And straight people don't and can't. And so I think that can inculcates in gay people a real sort of rubber, rubber meets the road attitude about what works and what doesn't work and how it's going to be and how it's not going to be and this letting go of wishful thinking and idealized horse crap about sex and love and romance um that that leads me to say things like that i see i what i just said to you about porn and dykes and dogs and getting over it is isn't rare uh, among the homos to hear those sorts of things said as bluntly but it is rare among the heteros but i have this avenue to, to I'm, I, I for one am very uncomfortable talking about dogs <laughs> <laughs> what do they do and they're jumping all over everywhere they don't I even know. speak english they're humping your leg <laughs> i don't like dogs either <laughs> do you um uh have you ever have you ever given people advice that you've had second thoughts about? Have you ever? Have you ever given people advice that you sincerely like regretted? The best example is I once, when I first shifted to accepting emails for a long time, I didn't. Um, I wasn't very good at keeping track of the email. It was just this big mess, and I answered a letter. And then three months later, I accidentally answered the same letter again and gave the opposite advice. (laughs) Which just goes to show you that it depends on how much I've had to drink that day. And you shouldn't put too much stock in anything I say. From time to time, you do also write about how much you've had to drink that day. That's true. I write my column in bars and I uh, write it stoned and I write it um, the way people, in the condition that people are often in when you approach them for advice. Uh, We have this... That's a moderately convincing argument. We have this... Advice is not something that's dispensed by shrinks for 300 bucks an hour 
uh, and, and the stakes really aren't that high. When you think about advice, you go to, it's usually a situation where you go to your friends, uh, you, often in bars, often when people are impaired, and you lay out your problem, and the very first thing they do is they make fun of you for 20 minutes and about the stupid thing you did or the stupid situation you're in, and then they whip a little advice on you. And I've always said savage love is a conversation I'm having with my friends in a bar about sex. And I treat people uh, that way, and I don't actually take it all that seriously. Let's talk about the conversation part of this for a second, because the column format is a, a format that lends itself to receiving a query and offering a prescription. And to some extent, you occasionally will publish a follow-up or, you know, comments that listen, readers have sent in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you've also uh, hosted a radio show for some time and more recently uh, have been hosting a, a really wonderful, by the way, podcast Thanks. called The Savage Love Cast, um, where you are often, sometimes you're taking a, hearing a message and offering a prescriptive, but often you're engaging directly with the person that you're advising. Do you think that changes your approach in any way to be engaged directly with when you're on the When you're speaking to somebody on the phone about yeah, their problem? exactly. It's harder to be as brusque. It's harder to be as jerky as it is in the column. Um, much to your disappointment. Much to my dismay, like. actually. I, I get letters now saying, you're so much nicer on the podcast. Um, which I consider one of the one of the shortcomings of the podcast. <laughs> um, but but then you do get to elicit information and get a good back and forth going uh, on the on the radio on the podcast. Feels like radio to me, but the podcast. And you're able to say things that the FCC would never allow you to say. Can you th can you think of times that you've that you've surprised yourself with the empathy or, or agreement with the person that you're talking to that you maybe didn't expect from hearing their, getting their email or hearing the message they left on your hotline? I can't think of an example. <laughs> I'm sorry. One of the things that qualifies me to do, the jo do my job uh, day in, day out for all these years is I drove a nail into my head in fourth grade and I have short-term memory problems. Um, and so uh, every day I wake up and think, oh, wow, what a neat job. How'd I get this job? Um, <laughs> oh, look, uh, somebody wants to know what a cock ring is. No one's ever asked that before. Um, <laughs> I look at my boyfriend and go, oh, wow, you're hot. Who are you? Um, <laughs> I hope you stay. So it's well, qualified me for this Groundhog Day's life of mine, the nail I drove into my head. Well, Dan, I, I, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was such a pleasure to have you, and we'll, um, I, I guess we'll just do it again tomorrow and then every day from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much for having me. I really enjoyed Dan it. Savage, everybody. Dan Savage is the author of the sex and advice column Savage Love, which you can find in the Onions AV Club. He also hosts the hilarious and insightful Savage Love podcast, which you can find online at podcasts.thestranger.com. His books include Skipping Towards Gomorrah and The Commitment, Love, Sex, Marriage, and My Family. Another Sound of Young America program comes to its richly satisfying conclusion. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart, the show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself, interstitial music by Dan Wally, the show edited by Nick White, our intern, Casey O'Brien. Special thanks to all the folks at Sketchfest Seattle. They're online at sketchfest.org. It's uh, about as good a festival as you could possibly hope to go see. A lot of amazing shows there every year. 
Visit us online at MaximumFun.org. Check out the blog and subscribe to it. Check out our other shows. And hey, guess what? If you have thoughts about the show, email them to me, jesse at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America.